Our Bible reading will be taken from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. You can find this on page 1089 of your church Bibles. So that's John 20, verses 1 to 10, page 1089. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They, did, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Amen. We're reading from John chapter 20, starting at verse 11 to 18, on page 1089. That's John 20, verse 11, page 1089 in the Bibles. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him. She cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. It's lovely to have you here today. Welcome again uh, to Highfields. Just to say, I guess there'll be quite a number of visitors here today. If you'd like to find out more about the uh, life of the church, then why not fill in with these little green welcome cards and give it to me as you leave or on the welcome desk. Uh, we'd love to do that. Also, we do have hot cross buns, tea and coffee uh, after this service too. Normally, it's just in the middle between the services. We have it after this service as well. So make sure you uh, head down to the large Pierce Hall, which is the hall on the left-hand side as you came in. 
one of the most powerful scenes on a recent BBC news broadcast uh, was that of a young Ukrainian couple uh, by the name of Kate and Arthur who had decided to get married. And they were hiding in a registry office in Kiev with sirens blaring in the distance. How on earth do they maintain hope when life is so desperate and hopeless? Kate's answer, quote, Our family are Christians and we pray to God and believe he cares about us and protects us. Now, I'm not sure how you react to that kind of uh, thinking as you hear it. Maybe you think it's just a beautiful picture of naive young love doing what young love does. Whatever our future, we're sticking together. But maybe it's Kate's talk of God that sticks in the throat. If God really cares about and protects Kate and her family, then why doesn't he stop the violence and the brutality? Well, the Bible is uh, the first to admit that uh, the horrors of war, amongst many other kinds of horrors in our world, are the tragic consequences of a world that has turned its back on God. But what I found so telling about Kate's comments was how she was aware that despite the desperate situation that she was existing in, she still had hope. Where does hope come from, especially when you're sad? Uh, One of Jesus' closest disciples, uh, the Apostle Peter, once wrote to some early Christian believers who were suffering immensely for their faith. And he wrote the following, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. However hard life gets, we can live in hope according to Peter, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. We've sung today. And the Christian claim is that suffering and death and war and brokenness and earthquakes and tragedy need not be the end, friends, because the tomb is empty. The Christian claim is Jesus is risen. The from the dead, and that changes everything. But isn't the Christian claim just wishful thinking? It's not really a scientific claim, is it, that the dead body of Jesus rose again from the grave three days later? Come on, Dave, sensible people know that dead people don't rise. And at first sight, it does sound a little bit more like the wishfulness of Tinkerbell towards the end of the Peter Pan story. If you don't know, at the end of the Peter Pan story, the fairy Tinkerbell is dying. And uh, we read, when the fairy Tinkerbell is dying, uh, she tells Peter that she could get well again if children believed in fairies. And so Peter appeals to everyone reading the story, if you believe, clap your hands. Don't let Tink die. In other words... Believe in your heart, clap your hands, and maybe we can all keep Tinkerbell alive. Best-selling author Rebecca McLaughlin comments, however old we might be, part of us wants to clap with this appeal. If not for the fairies, then for something magical to enter into the mundane and the the never-lasting in our lives. 
But are these happy endings to the story just a scam, a gentle lie to get us through until we get a bit older and then know the truth and become a bit more cynical about life? Or might there be a way for us to live, as fairy tales put it, happily ever after? Well, I think we can do better than just clapping in our hands and wishing that Tinkerbell lived. There's something more to know. And we're going to find it in uh, our Bible. So please grab a Bible, uh, John chapter 20. If you've closed your Bible, uh, dig it out again, please. We've set the scene, uh, the appearance of Jesus, uh, the empty tomb. And now we're going to fast forward up to verse 24. And I'm going to read out a few verses from verse 24 of chapter 20. It's on page 1098 in the Turquoise Church office. It's really worthwhile having one open. So if, uh, if someone nearby doesn't have one, why don't you get one to them? Or we've got apps on our phones. We've also got these uh, John's Gospels, which are around the place. It's near the end of that. It's on page uh, 1551. And incidentally, if you don't have a copy of the Bible for yourself, then you're free to take that at the end because it's a, 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 a little small kind of clipped out section of the Bible, John's Gospel, written by uh, one of Jesus' closest friends. Let me read verses 24 to 31 of uh, John 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the others when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing may have life in his name. And uh, we're just going to spend just a few minutes, 20 minutes or so, thinking about two key truths about Jesus Christ on these verses. Here's truth number one, you can see it on the screen. Uh, uh, point one, the risen Jesus ensures we can know truth. The risen Jesus ensures we can know truth. Now, Thomas had been one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He travelled extensively with Jesus over the last three years, observed Jesus' amazing miracles, turning water into wine, healing the blind, the lame, even raising uh, the dead, uh, which we saw a few weeks ago here at Highfields. And uh, Thomas had listened to the amazing teaching of Jesus, how Jesus openly explained how he had come on earth to die, how three days after dying he would rise again and he would return to his Father in heaven. And how he'd openly explained how Jesus had come to guarantee a place in heaven for all those who trusted him. Thomas had heard it all with his ears. He's very much in the know. No lack of knowledge in his head for Thomas. And yet by the time we get to the passage in front of us, John 20, 24, he's pretty much given up the hope. Jesus had been crucified on Good Friday. And so they say it appeared with the other disciples on Easter Sunday, risen from the dead. Uh, and so this then 
in verse 24, is the first time all 12 of the disciples have gathered together. Uh, The other disciples have been rejoicing and saying that they've seen the risen Jesus. But Thomas is set in his ways. And I find it a great encouragement for me as someone who's instinctively a bit of a sceptic. I want to listen to Thomas as a sceptic. What does he say? Can you see? Verse 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Can't believe that Jesus is risen. Everyone says he's dead. Reports are flying around that he's alive. But I've not seen anything convincing. Dead people don't rise. I'm not going to clap my hands and wish he's alive. Like Tinkerbell. It's nonsense. Dead people don't come back to life again. There's no way of knowing the truth about Jesus, Thomas thinks. Sound familiar? You're too sensible for those kinds of mystical belief systems today. We're modern people, postmodern people, scientific people. Maybe you feel the same way today. I have great sympathy for you if you do. Resurrection indeed, we think. But friends, the risen Jesus ensures that we can know truth. The top of chapter 20, the first reading from Ibubi, the the guarded tomb was empty. The second reading from Quentin, the risen Jesus was seen alive. And the fearful disciples, total cowards, denying Jesus, hiding from authorities, become powerful witnesses. Something has happened that first Easter. You have to admit it. Let's jump down to verse 26. We've just read it, but let's read it again. A week later, so previously it was the 11 disciples. Jesus appears. Now it's the 12 disciples. What happens? A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again. Verse 26. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Interestingly, exactly the criteria that Thomas had established a few verses earlier when Jesus was not there for Thomas. Now he's saying, I know exactly what you need. Come and do it. I'm ready for you with evidence. Stop doubting and believe. So the scene is being reshot a week later. Disciples gather. Thomas there. Look, Thomas. Put your hands here. Put your hands here. Stop doubting and believe. And finally Thomas gets it. He falls to his knees. And what does he say? My Lord and my God. As a Jewish believer, there is no way he's going to fall to his knees and call any old person God. This is a radical revelation. His eyes have finally been opened. He's become convinced of the truth. Arguments are silenced and doubts are dispelled. The sceptic becomes a believer. The risen Jesus ensures that we can know truth. Now, of course, some of us uh, today may well jump up and argue, well, it's all right for Thomas. It's okay for Thomas. He gets to have his doubts removed. He sees Jesus face to face. But what about me? I don't get to put my hand in the side and see the nail marks, etc. Well, for that, we've got to fast down to verse 29. Jump your eyes down to verse 29 now, passage. Let me read it. Then Jesus told him, that's Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. In other words, according to Jesus, 
there is no disadvantage. If you never get to see Jesus face to face, you're not disadvantaged, you're advantaged. You're more blessed. Faith comes to both Thomas and us by looking at and believing the evidence in front of us about Jesus. For Thomas, it was eyewitness evidence. He could see it with his own eyes. For us now and many since, it's eyewitness testimony. It's the words by people who saw. And both should be sufficient. Now, I was trying to think of an illustration. Imagine um, you heard a completely outrageous claim today. uh, Namely, that last night, my seven-year-old son, Noah, ate a vindaloo curry. Okay, completely outrageous. Now, why on earth would a seven-year-old eat a vindaloo curry, the hottest curry you can possibly get? You would never believe it if that claim went around. But it just so happens that I saw him do it last night. He ate a vindaloo curry. And uh, there were six other people in the room, well, our family and friends, uh, you know, the, the extended family, who saw Noah eat a vindaloo curry. With our own, we saw it. And I think because, you, I hope you, hopefully you believe me, I can testify that I saw something remarkable, out of this world, out of the ordinary, a seven-year-old boy eating the hottest curry on record. And he did it. And I want to testify to you. Well, I suppose in the same way, we didn't get to see Jesus rising from the dead, but people who saw him wrote about it. And we can read what they said. It's, it, it's how it works in a court of law. You listen to the evidence, and you listen in, and you become convinced if that evidence is credible. Now, that's a, that's a kind of a headline for a much longer discussion. If you want to dig further into why should we trust those eyewitnesses, it's a big question. This book that John mentioned at the start, The Case for Easter, if you're here today and you are hands up a sceptic, you don't have to put your hand up now, but you would say, I'm a sceptic. I don't believe in the testimony of those eyewitnesses. I need to dig more into it. Well, there was a guy called Lee Strobel, a journalist, who didn't believe it. He dug deep, 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 deep and was convinced. And he wrote it all up in this little book, The Case for Easter. So that, if that's you, um, you're very welcome to take one as you head out at the end. Because Thomas had been convinced what countless people, maybe a third of the world's population today, are convinced that Jesus really is Lord. Jesus is God on earth who has come to reveal reality to us. The risen Jesus ensures that we can know the truth. But it's more than that. It's more than simply that we can know the truth. Because it's not simply a case of understanding intellectually that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He's God on earth. No, there's something more. And uh, we're going to look at our next point, which is to say... That the risen, ooh, that the risen Jesus ensures that we can have life. And um, there's a Bible verse that helps us understand this too, which is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. I don't know if I've got it on the screen. Is it on the screen? Maybe not. 1 John 1, verse 3. This is where John, who wrote John's gospel, also wrote a letter to some people who never saw Jesus face to face. And this is what John wrote. Let me read it to you. We read this. John, 1 John 1, verse... Oh, it's on the screen. Thank you. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. That's John describing seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus. We proclaim it, in other words we write it down, so that you also may have fellowship with us, the people who saw it at the time, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, just seeing or just hearing from the eyewitnesses enables you to have fellowship with both the eyewitnesses 
and more importantly with God himself and his son Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't simply understand who God is as we read the Bible and we listen to the eyewitnesses and we hear their testimony. We have fellowship with God. We become united to God. We become friends with God. We can have life, which is our second point today. The risen Jesus ensures that we can have life. So I want to ask you, just run your eye over the testimony about Jesus. Back in John's Gospel, back in John's Gospel, who will you give the benefit of the doubt to? Will you give the benefit of the doubt to your sceptical mind, the 21st century mind, with all its biases and agendas? Or will we listen in and hear what he says and see what he does? Because uh, faith isn't just an end in itself. As if that's the, the final thing. No, there's a specific reason why Jesus has revealed himself to us and has revealed himself to his apostles who wrote it down. And we get that from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. The reason that Jesus came was, was to bring life. Let me read these words. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. According to Jesus, the stakes are incredibly high. Incredibly high. You see, the difference between believing and not believing is life in his name. Life in his name. It's a world of difference. If we believe that Jesus is the the Messiah, the promised Saviour King, the Son of God... We have life in his name. If we don't, we don't. Let me try and explain what it means. What does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? The the Greek word is Christ. But when we talk about Jesus Christ, that's not his surname. Mr. and Mrs. Christ announced the birth of little baby Jesus Christ to join the family. No, it's a title. It's king. It's anointed one, chosen one, promised one to rescue God's people and to rule over them in peace and in justice. And the Jews had waited for many, many years, hundreds of years for the promised saviour king to come. And now he has come and he's walked on the scene. And he says, I'm here. I'm here from God. I'll tell you the truth, as you've never heard it before. I'm here from God. You need to trust me. I've come to give people a new life, a new start. Because apart from me giving them life, they'll be lost in darkness forevermore. They need to be rescued from the way they've turned away from me all their lives. Because that is what we've done. All of us, some of us, we think of ourselves as good. Others of us know we're not so good. Ultimately, we live for ourselves. We turn away from the God who made us. We live with no reference to the God who loves us, the world he's given us. None of us live up to God's standards on one day if we tried our best. We never, fail, we never hit the mark. We always miss it time and time and time again. We live as if God didn't exist in his world. He very much does exist and that has massive consequences if we ignore him. He won't be pushed to the side. If we live our lives biting the hand that feeds us, then one day, well, God says he'll turn his back on us and that will be a dreadful thing in the world, the most dreadful thing. According to Jesus, ours is a world that faces death. The pain of physical death, yes, but even worse than physical death is eternal death, to be separate from God. 
But the great news of Easter is that Jesus did not stay dead. He, he rose again. He came through the door of death and he came out the other side. And he says, life in his name is available. Have a look down. These things are written. You see, Jesus did many things, many more that made the final cut of John's gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing may have life in his name. Eternal life that begins now and bursts through the grave into Life beyond death, an eternal future, presence with our Saviour Jesus, who we will see one day face to face forevermore. No more sickness and sin and sadness and death. The risen Jesus ensures that we can have life. If uh, Jesus, this is uh, Rebecca McLaughlin uh, again, if Jesus did come back to life, it means the maker of all time and space has stepped into the universe for love for you. It means that you are worth his death and he wants you in his life. It means you're more seen and known and loved than you could dare to hope. And that the greatest offer ever is made that has been made is sitting on the table waiting for you to take it up. So will you take it up? Will you take it up? Will you enter into relationship with this one? Another illustration may help. Uh, you may know the story of Dorothy L. Sayers. Dorothy L. Sayers was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford and uh, was the author of detective novels. And uh, she wrote a bunch of detective novels, uh, the Lord Peter Whimsey detective novels, which some of you uh, may have read. Uh, Peter Whimsey is an aristocratic detective who solves various mysteries and he is a single man. But in one point in the novels uh, about Sir Peter Whimsey, um, a new character appears mysteriously called Harriet Vane. And uh, in the stories, Harriet Vane is described as, quotes, one of the first women to graduate from Oxford, who is also a writer of mystery novels. And eventually she and uh, Peter Whimsey fall in love. Now, who was Harriet Vane? Well, many people believe that Dorothy L. Sayers looked into the world that she had created and fell in love with her lonely hero. Someone who was in desperate need and wrote herself into the story in order to save him. Marvellously touching, isn't it? But you know, with the Christian gospel, friends, it's as if God so loves the characters in the play of this world that he's written, you and me, who are in desperate need for life and wholeness and relationship, that he's written himself into the story, taken on flesh to enter in as Jesus Christ, squeezing himself down, the God of eternity, down to a a five foot ten Galilean who could be seen and heard and touched and whose words were written down with accuracy and authority so that as we read those words, we can meet him And fall in love with him ourselves and have life today. So has that described you? Does that describe you? How do you do do it? Well, I think ultimately you believe in his name, you trust him. You say, Lord Jesus Christ, I know when you came, you came for me. I know when you died, you died for me. And I know when you rose, you rose again to give me new life. Will you do it? Will you trust him? Will you recognise him? Apart from him, you're lost in darkness. 
But with him, you find life forevermore. He's your only hope. He truly is. The risen Jesus ensures we can know truth about God and about eternity. He's come into this world. And the risen Jesus ensures that we can have life. We started with two young Ukrainian believers, didn't we? Young love, getting married in Kiev with bombs going off around them. They know Jesus Christ. They live in confident hope. Adam Ramsey, the author, let me quote him. Everything in Christianity depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No resurrection, no joy. For the Messiah remains dead. No forgiveness. For his payment proved to be insufficient. He would need to stay in the grave. No hope. For your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And every claim of Jesus was a lie. But Jesus was not dead. He had risen. And he is still risen today. So as he said To Martha, back in John 11, he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will never die. Do you believe this? Christ is risen, friends. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's have a moment of quietness and then I'll pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that death could not hold on to you. The Son of God has been raised with power and gives life today to all who call on your name. We praise you. We rejoice in you, risen Lord Jesus Christ, today, that death is indeed death. Love has won for Christ. You have conquered the grave. We live in the victory that you have won. And we pray, Lord, today for those who are still looking in, please would you help them to see what it would mean for them to call on your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.